Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and today I want to talk about why we can never drink again. So there's an invisible line that we all cross, which marks the transition from social drinking into problematic drinking. Some of us take 20 years to cross the line. Others cross it almost immediately after we begin drinking. The time it takes for you to cross the line depends on your genetics, how vulnerable your brain is to alcohol-induced changes, your life circumstances, how young you begin drinking, and more. Alcohol damages and changes our brains when we drink heavily for extended periods of time. These changes occur because the brain is dynamic and able to adapt to its current situation, and this quality is called neuroplasticity. 
Pathways are carved into the brain as we train our brains to rely on alcohol to socialize, relax, feel happy, or deal with hard times. These pathways are thought to be permanent and are activated by triggers, which is why we can never drink again. In this episode, I will explain how alcohol changes the brain, why these changes are permanent, and how this influences relapse. I have some interesting studies to tell you about that looked at animal models of relapse after months of sobriety and how alcohol and other drugs encourage our reward system to have even more plasticity. So let's dig in. I want you to imagine an airplane runway. It's huge, perfectly paved, and there are guys there with lights directing the plane to the runway. That's the alcohol pathway in your brain. Whenever we have the slightest inconvenience or stressor, the guys start directing us down the runway to alcohol. It's very easy to take this route because we've taken it a million times already. And the more often you reinforce a pathway, the stronger it becomes. In early sobriety, this pathway is still there. Just because you decide you're not drinking anymore doesn't mean your brain is instantly reset. Every time something happens in your life, whether it's really good and you want to celebrate or the weather is nice or something bad happens, the guys in your mind are going to direct you down the path to alcohol. So how do these pathways form? Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to adapt to our current circumstances. It's something that we talked about back in episode 46, and I want to cover it again today. So when we drink heavily for years, we are constantly repeating the same behaviors. Feel upset? Drink. Tough day at work? Drink. Anxiety or depression? Drink. Celebrating anything? Drink. Our brain adapts to this and it starts to link these situations with drinking alcohol. Not everyone's brain is as flexible and as adaptive as others. And studies have found that having less plasticity in the prefrontal cortex is associated with using negative coping strategies like emotional eating, binge drinking, and getting into more arguments. We've talked about being mentally flexible in episode 97, so make sure to go listen to that if you haven't yet. When someone is drinking too much and begins to have negative consequences, their brain is supposed to recognize that and make adjustments. However, when you have less plasticity, your brain isn't able to adapt and change as well, and the new information that's coming in about the consequences from your drinking doesn't have as big of an impact as it should. One version of neuroplasticity is developing a tolerance, where your brain has adapted and you now need more alcohol to achieve the same result. For example, you need more wine to feel relaxed at night. When we drink repeatedly for years and use alcohol to cope with everything and to enhance every situation, we train our brain to build that runway that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. When we drink alcohol, dopamine is released in our reward center and it creates a memory of the pleasure you felt and how you found the pleasure. Dopamine is a motivational chemical and the next time you encounter the same cue, dopamine is released to motivate you to seek out alcohol. 
With repetitive drinking, our brain builds out an association for earlier and earlier cues. Where a take-it-or-leave-it drinker may start feeling the anticipation of drinking when they get home from work on a Friday night and they're about to drink, someone who repeats the behavior for years will begin to feel that anticipation earlier and earlier in the day. This means maybe around lunchtime, when your hangover from the night before has faded, your brain could be releasing dopamine trying to guide you to the runway to get your alcohol reward. When something upsetting happens in your life, you probably feel triggered to drink and get rid of the emotions. Dopamine is being released in your brain when the trigger happens, and it's trying to direct you down the path to alcohol, which you've always used as a solution to your problems. For people who have never developed these alcohol-induced changes to the brain, when something upsetting happens for them, they don't have alerts telling them to drink. That pathway doesn't exist for them. You're not weak because you give in. You built this pathway over years and trained yourself that alcohol is the solution. So your brain releases dopamine to try to motivate you to seek out the solution. The problem with dopamine, which I did a deep dive into what dopamine is all about in episode 62, is that it builds out memories for earlier and earlier cues. And this makes sobriety really difficult. These are called reward predictors. When a reward predictor is activated in sobriety, you're going to be hit with a craving because your brain believes that cue means you will be getting alcohol soon and it releases dopamine to motivate you to search for it. In early sobriety especially, that big airplane runway to alcohol is still there. It doesn't disappear because you decided to get sober. It takes time for it to break down and fade. A 2020 study raised mice to become addicted to alcohol by getting an alcohol reward every time they pressed a lever. Then they stopped giving them the alcohol and over time the mice learned to not bother with the lever anymore. This is called extinction, and you might remember it from earlier episodes. After about a month sober, the researchers exposed them to an alcohol cue and saw that they began pressing the lever again to try to get alcohol. When they looked at the brains of these mice, they saw a specific group of neurons that had become activated when the mice were cued. This group of neurons projected from the prefrontal cortex into the nucleus accumbens, which is the part of the reward center where dopamine is released. The nucleus accumbens allows us to form a memory of the pleasure that we felt from drinking or the stress reduction or how it helped you socialize and it stores all of these memories and all the different cues that we associate with getting alcohol. And what this 2020 study found is that when they suppressed the group of neurons that projected from the prefrontal cortex into the nucleus accumbens, the mice significantly reduced the number of times they tried to press the lever after they were exposed to an alcohol cue. What this study means to me is that our cues are permanently stored in our brain. And even if they collect dust in sobriety, if we go back to drinking, they will quickly dust themselves off. And if you're someone who drank either every day or you drank for many, many years, you have built out a memory of a lot of different cues. And these are cues that the regular old take-it-or-leave-it drinkers don't have. And remember, these cues don't go away. 
So that's why we can't go back to be a take it or leave it drinker. The second form of neuroplasticity is compulsive drug-seeking behavior. This develops after long-term reinforcement of a drug. Alcohol and other drugs change our brain, and researchers believe these changes are permanent. So you've probably heard the saying about how you can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber, and it's totally true. Once you've crossed the invisible line and alcohol has changed your reward system, you can't change it back. This doesn't mean we're doomed to struggle with cravings all of our lives, but it does mean we can never drink ever again. Studies have demonstrated this plasticity by exposing sober people to drug-related cues and seeing rapid activation of the reward pathways in their brains. Some of these studies have even exposed participants to cues that were less than a second and too quick to even register in our minds, and that still activated their reward system and caused a craving. So we could be getting cued by things around us that are too quick for us to realize. When someone is cued to drink or use drugs, it means that the brain starts anticipating that the reward of alcohol or drugs is coming soon. So it starts to release dopamine to encourage you to search and seek out the reward. That's what a craving is. It's encouraging you to seek. These imaging studies on cues have found that the strength of the craving directly relates to the amount of dopamine that's released in the person's brain. An interesting study of relapse in rats from 2001 got the rats addicted to cocaine and taught them to self-administer it by using a light in their cage to signal that they could get cocaine. After they were addicted and the behavior reinforced for a while, they stopped giving them the cocaine. The way that relapse is measured in animals is if they return to whatever the trained behavior was to try to get the drug. So usually this is by pressing a lever. They cued these rats with the light in their cage after one week, four weeks, or six months of sobriety. They found that relapse was strongest in the group who rested in their cages for six months before relapse testing. What they meant by relapse was the strongest is the number of lever presses. So for example, a group of rats that was tested on the fourth day pressed the lever about 90 times in six hours. But a group that was tested after 60 days pressed the lever about 240 times in six hours. This study suggests that there's a delay which scientists are calling an incubation period for when cravings may start to appear and that they intensify over time. The researchers of this study determined that a person is most vulnerable to relapse well after the acute withdrawal phase has ended. You may be tempted or have been tempted in the past to believe that after a certain amount of time, you'll be cured and able to moderate your drinking. Alcohol causes changes in the brain that are permanent, and once you've crossed the line and experienced a loss of control around your drinking, you can't regain control. Some people are able to moderate with strict rules, intense focus, and by willpowering their way through cravings, but that is just because there's a spectrum of addiction. Your brain doesn't go from moderate drinker to addiction right away. It's a slow progression. 
People that can force themselves to stop drinking before they're satisfied are still early in the path to addiction. Their brain has likely had some alcohol-induced changes, which is why they experience a lack of control, shame, and not being satisfied with one drink. But their brain hasn't adapted as much as it could yet. Addiction is progressive, and the longer you drink, the more able alcohol is to change your brain. If you're struggling with thinking you may be able to moderate someday, then my point of this episode is to encourage you to give up on that dream. Once I let go of the hope of moderating someday, I was finally able to be free. When we quit drinking but hope we can drink again someday, we miss out on some of the amazing benefits of sobriety because we are focused on the end goal, drinking again. I encourage you to listen to episode 91, Do You Want to Be Sober or Do You Want to Drink Without the Consequences? So even though you have that alcohol pathway built out in your brain and your brain tries to direct you there, you can overcome this with sobriety and with doing the work. Over time, when this pathway isn't used, it's going to start to fade and break down. It never goes away, but it becomes less easily accessible. So when you choose the hard path, like any healthy coping strategy, like taking a bath, going on a rage walk, calling a friend, going to a meeting, working with a therapist, those pathways become stronger. So you want to get to a point where something happens in your life and you're not immediately like, I need a drink. Instead, you think, I need to go on a run. I need to check out a meeting tonight. I need to call a friend. And this change only happens over time. So if you're in early sobriety and you still get triggered easily, just know it's a process. Your brain didn't build out these pathways in two seconds and you're not going to be able to break them down in two seconds either. So give yourself time. It's a long learning process, but I really do know that you can do it. And make sure to follow the podcast because next week is episode 100 and I have a very special episode for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but it's really good and I can't wait for you to listen to it. And if you get emails from me, I will tell you all about the episode on Thursday. And if you don't get emails from me, you can sign up in the show notes. But otherwise, I will talk to you next week for episode 100. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how twos for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.